to a star witness. Hello everyone, this is Kayla bringing another episode and today is going to be a two-part series. So before we get started into it, let's have a word of prayer so the Lord will be with us during the podcast. So with that, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for all of your many blessings. We thank you for coming down to this earth to save us from our sins. Lord, especially this time of year, people are thinking about the sacrifices that you made, that you came down to be a baby and to save us from the wickedness and the temptation that are surrounding us, to save us from the evil one, most importantly, and also so that you could then go back home to prepare a place for us, so that you could come and get us, help us to get ready for that time, because we know that this world is not going to last forever. Help us to tell others what we know, so that they too can be saved. Lord, help us to always remember the sacrifices that you made, and help us to be willing to sacrifice and give up all for you as well. And we ask that you be with our minds and help us to learn each and every day and to grow from it. And we ask all these things in your precious, holy, wonderful son's name. Amen. All right. So Christmas is fast coming upon us. And this is exactly what I am talking about in this two-part series. The first part is going to get into what Christmas is and like where it came from and the origins of it. And in the second part, I'm going to talk about how we as Christians or we who love the Lord should really be celebrating it. So let's get into the history of it because there's a lot to cover. The first thing we need to do is ask what is Christmas? The word Christmas means mass of Christ or as it came to be shortened Christmas. It came to the modern world from the Roman Catholic Church. Unfortunately they did not get it from the Bible but from paganism. Christmas was not among the earliest festivities of the church. The first evidence of the feast is from Egypt. Pagan customs centering around the January calendars or the pagan calendar gravitated to Christmas. And an early Christian writer said this about celebrating birthdays in the Bible. In the scriptures, no one is recorded to have kept the feast or held a great banquet on Christ's birthday. It is only sinners like Pharaoh or Herod who make great rejoicings over the day in which they were born in this world. That's a very interesting thing that only the pagans really make a big deal out of their birthdays. Christ never once mentioned his birthday or that we should be celebrating it or anything. And this is a day, as we will see, it's centered around not worshiping the Lord, but worshiping an altogether different thing. And the date of Christ's birth was not on December 25th, as most people might think it is. There is no historical evidence that our Lord's birthday was celebrated during the apostolic or early post-apostolic times. The early Christians wanted to bestow honors on Christ that the pagans paid to their divine emperors, so they naturally felt inclined to honor the birth of the Savior. And in most places, the commemoration of Christ's birth was included in the Feast of Epiphany on January 6th, one of the oldest annual festivals. But soon after the end of the last great persecution, about the year 330, the Church of Rome definitely assigned December 25th for the celebration of the birth of Christ. For a while, many Eastern churches continued to keep other dates, but toward the end of the 4th century, the 
Roman custom became universal. One of the dominant religious ideas of the second and the third centuries was the belief in the divinity of the sun. And this divinity is of special interest for our inquiry. For the annual festivity fell on the 25th of December and its relation to Christmas has been a matter of protracted discussion. I mean, obviously the season of the winter solstice when the strength of the sun begins to increase is appropriate for the celebration of the festival of the sun god. The day in a sense marks the birth of a new sun, but the reason for its being chosen as the day for the commemoration of Christ's nativity is not so evident. The identity of date is more than a coincidence. To be sure, the church did not merely appropriate the festival of the popular sun god. It was through a parallelism between Christ and the sun that the 25th of the December came to the date of the nativity, which we now celebrate. So they were saying he's the son of God and that's why it should be on December 25th because the sun is being renewed and he's the son of God and that's how they came to do it. But worshippers of Mithra, which is a pagan god, celebrated that day on December 25th. Also, the people who are into witchcraft and the occult, they are big into celebrating on December 25th because of the renewal of the sun and the solstice is a huge pagan celebration for them. They do all sorts of crazy things on that night by burning fires and and by doing a lot of other crazy things which I don't want to know about and neither should you but just know that it's full of wickedness and doing worship to the devil which is not anything that we would want to do anyway and there's a lot of parallels between the, the two of them. It's very interesting that they would do that. The celebration of Christmas was not even introduced in the church till after the middle of the fourth century. It originated in Rome and was probably a Christian transformation of the regeneration of a series of kindred heathen festivals, such as the Saturnalia, the Sigillaria, the Juvenalia, and Brumalia, which were celebrated in the month of December in commemoration of the golden age of universal freedom and equality, and in honor of the unconquered sun, which was a great holiday, especially for slaves and children. The festival of Saturn fell on December 17th, but its popular celebration lasted for seven days. It began as a country festival in the time when agriculture was one of the chief activities of the Romans, but soon it produced licentiousness and gambling. During these seven days, city officials condoned conduct that they would not have tolerated at any other season. One feature of the occasion was the license allowed to slaves who were permitted to treat their masters as if they were social equals. Frequently, indeed, masters and slaves changed places, and the latter were waited on by the former. Another feature of the celebration was the exchange of gifts, such as candles, which were supposed to have symbolized the increasing power of the sunlight after the winter solstice, and little puppets of paste or earthenware, the exact significance of which is still obscure. It was a season of hilarity and goodwill. The extremists who have said that Christmas was intended to replace the Saturnalia have vastly overstated the case. Nor is it of any importance that Aphinius, the bishop of Salamis in Cyprus in the 4th century, places the Saturnalia on the 25th of December. This is not the only error in the list of dates in which it occurs. Without doubt, however, many of the customs of the Saturnalia were transferred to Christmas. Although the dates did not exactly coincide for the Saturnalia fell on the 17th, like I said before, the time of year was practically the same, and it has already 
already been pointed out how frequently festivals of the merrymaking type occur among various people at this season. Goodwill is very generally characterized at these celebrations, people doing good for others, and raises the question whether this is one of the reasons why Christmas was put at the winter solstice. Certainly many of the customs of the Christmas season go back to the Roman festivals. In it lies the origin of the excessive eating and drinking, the plethora of sweets, the playing of games, and the exchange of gifts. Nor can we fail to connect our custom of burning candles with the candles that were so conspicuously a part of the Saturnalia. Moreover, our Christmas holidays, like the Roman festivals, are approximately a week long. People celebrate Christmas for long periods of time, and even now, they're putting up Christmas decorations as soon as Halloween has ended. They don't even give time for Thanksgiving anymore. I was in town not too long after Halloween was over, and I saw Christmas decorations up in the town. It was crazy. I remember when I was younger, they at least waited a little longer than that before they started putting up Christmas decorations. And I could go further into the history of Christmas and how it was correlating with these pagan celebrations to the sun and also correlating with the sun worship. But I think you get the idea. These holidays were chosen for a reason. It wasn't to celebrate Jesus or anything like that at all. It was to continue the festivities that they had already known. They didn't want to lose it because it was such a good time. It was so much fun and all of these things conspired around this time and they didn't want to lose that. So they're like, well, let's tack on some Christianness to it and that way we won't be able to lose it and we can still celebrate it. Now let's get into some of the other things that are going around during this holiday. One of the things, and this is a big one for everybody in the world, they tell their children about Santa Claus. Now, let me pose this question to you first before I get into this a little more. If I told you that this man watches your children, sees them when they're eating and they're sleeping, and wants to give them gifts and presents and sit them on his lap and is always there, wouldn't that really creep you out? Wouldn't you want to move as far away as possible from this person who's always watching you and doing this stuff for your children? I mean, I'm sorry, but it kind of sounds like pedophilia to me. This is nothing that would inspire me to be like, oh yes, I want my child to be near this person. If you described it like that, it would freak you out. But instead, we dress it up as a fairy tale. It's a good thing. He's jolly. He's kind. And so let's get into the history of Santa Claus. Saint Nicholas is thought to be a fine old saint in the church, but it's not so. It is true that there may have been a Nicholas, a bishop of Myra, who lived in the fourth century and was said to have helped the poor. But Santa Claus was named after another old Nick. The legend of Santa Claus is quite similar to those of the ancient Egyptian god Bess. Bess was a short, rotund god who was said to give gifts to children. They were told he lived in the far north, where he spent most of the year making toys for them. The Roman god Saturn was similar and probably copied from Bess. He too was said to live in the northernmost part of the world, making gifts for children who were good. The Romans said he was the one who each December brought them the gifts of the new year. The names Santa Claus or Kris Kringle do not go as far back into history. Saint Nicholas and Kris Kringle are from the German Christ Kringle or Christ Child. So we have here a counterfeit Christ. And parents punish their children for telling falsehoods, but then they tell them this huge big one at December. And later when their children are grown, they wonder why they question the existence of God. You need to teach your children about Jesus Christ, their best friend, their only saint 
savior, the one and only who can indeed bring them good gifts. And it doesn't just happen once a year, it happens throughout all of the year, every single day. We get gifts from the Lord. Our very life is a gift. We should not waste our time by telling them myth that when they grow up, we have to then tell them it's a lie. Jesus is not a lie and the stories that happened in the Bible are not a lie. And these are the stories we should be telling our children, not the lies of this Santa Claus that's then not real. Children, when they find out that he's not real, they are so disappointed and crushed and they cry and they want that to be real because we've been filling them all of these years telling them he's real, he's real, he's so good, he's so kind, he gives you gifts, he does all this stuff for you. And then they find out that this fairy tale that you built up for them is in fact a lie and you do it just because it's fun and because it gives them something to look forward to. That's nothing good for your children. So what exactly is the origin of Santa Claus? Well, when the Dutch came to America and established the colony of New Amsterdam, their children enjoyed the traditional visit of the St. Nicholas on December 5th, for the Dutch had kept this ancient Catholic custom even after the Reformation. Later, when England took over the colony and it became New York, the kindly figure of Santa Claus soon aroused among the English children the desire of having such a visitor come to their homes too. The English settlers were glad and willing to comply with the anxious wish of their children. However, the figure of a Catholic saint and bishop was not acceptable in their eyes, especially since many of them were Presbyterian, to whom a bishop was repugnant. In addition, they did not celebrate the feasts of saints according to the ancient Catholic calendar. The dilemma was solved by transferring the visit of the mysterious man whom the Dutch called Santa Claus from December 5th to Christmas, and by introducing a radical change in the figure itself. It was not merely a disguise, but the ancient saint was completely replaced by an entirely different character. Behind the name Santa Claus actually stands the figure of the pagan Germanic god Thor. I'm sure some of you are familiar with that name. Some details about Thor from ancient German mythology will show the origin of the modern Santa Claus tale. Thor was the god of the peasants and the common people. He was represented as an elderly man, jovial and friendly, of heavy build and with a long white beard. His element was the fire, his color red. The rumble and roar of thunder were said to be caused by the rolling of his chariot, for he alone among the gods never rode on horseback, but drove in a chariot drawn by two white goats. He was fighting the giants of ice and snow and thus became the Yule God. He was said to live in the Northland, where he had his palace among icebergs. By our pagan forefathers, he was considered as the cheerful and friendly God, never harming the humans, but rather helping and protecting them. The fireplace in every home was especially sacred to him, and he was said to come down through the chimney into his element, the fire. Here then is the true origin of our Santa Claus. It certainly was a stroke of genius that produced such a charming and attractive figure for pagan mythology, with the Christian saint whose name he still bears. However, this Santa Claus has really nothing to do with it. And we can see how the story changed and it became something entirely different throughout history and how he eventually evolved into this man who has elves and magic and reindeer that fly and he can go all around the world in one night and there's so many 
many details about it that I could go into that this guy is an imposter and it's a lie that Satan has used to get people distracted and I want to go into some of the counterfeits of Santa versus Christ. Santa comes in the night whereas Christ also does. He comes as a thief in the night which is in 2 Peter 3.10 and 1 Thessalonians 5.2. He dresses in white and red and Christ is clothed in white and red. Revelation 19.13-14 and Isaiah 63.1-3. Santa brings gifts and rewards. So does Christ. He brings them and you can read about it in Romans 6.23 and Revelation 22.12. He knows if you've been good or not and Christ knows what we are doing and whether we're good or whether we're bad all the time like Revelation 2.23 says. He has white curly hair. Christ has white hair. Revelation 1.14. Sits and talks with children. Jesus talked with the children in Matthew 19.14. Comes with reindeer. Christ comes with horses. Revelation 19.11 and verse 14. Comes with a sleigh and lives in the North Pole. Christ comes with chariots. Isaiah 66.15 and lives on the sides of the North. Psalms 48.2. Children tell him what they want versus we pray to the Lord. Matthew 7.7. Santa Claus is not real. He's only imaginary and we should not partake in lies which Revelation 22.14-15 says. Old Saint Nick, one of Santa's name, is a name for Satan. See Old Nick in the dictionary. The word Santa unscrambled is Satan, which I always thought was very interesting and scary too. This is a direct counterfeit of Christ and Satan wants that to get us distracted and not to know about Christ because if we are focusing our attention on Christ, then we are looking forward to his coming. We are watching and we are praying. Instead, if we're focusing on Santa and all of these other distractions going on throughout the rest of the year, our eyes are not on heavenly things. Our children are not told of what is to come. Our children are filled with these lies instead of the truth, and that is never a good thing. What about some of the other traditions that we celebrate on Christmas that people are very familiar with? Well, let's get into the next one, the mistletoe. Where did the mistletoe custom originate? Among the ancients, because mistletoe was considered sacred to the sun, it was used at the December festival of the winter solstice. When the sun was lowest in the sky, kissing under the mistletoe was thought to be an act of solar worship, empowering the worshippers for still further worship. As this indicates, pagan sun worship services were very licentious. Temple prostitution was performed during the eight-day Roman Saturnalia, which immediately preceded the December 25th sunbirth celebration. Mistletoe was the sacred plant of the heathen Druids. This plant was in the pagan religion of the Druids in Britain. It was believed to have all sorts of miraculous qualities, the power of healing diseases, making poisons harmless, giving fertility to humans and animals, protecting from witchcraft, banning evil spirits, bringing good luck and great blessings. In fact, it was considered so sacred that even enemies who happened to meet beneath a mistletoe in the forest would lay down their arms, exchange a friendly greeting, and keep a truce until the following day. From this old custom grew the practice of suspending mistletoe over a doorway or in a room as a token of goodwill and peace to all comers. So we take these pagan things and we implement them in our homes and say, oh, it's a good thing. It's nothing but a bit of fun. It's nice. It's friendly. It has a good origin story. Um, I'm sorry, but only the Lord can keep evil spirits from us. Only the Lord can give us healing and only the Lord can give us blessings and fertility and do all of this stuff. Sure, he's given us the leaves for healing, but only he can make it so that we are 
well again, he's the one who cures us from the diseases and makes those plants do what they're supposed to. If we don't pray for healing, we may not get it. And even when we pray for healing, sometimes the answer is no. What about wreaths and holly? Circular wreaths of evergreen branches, especially holly, were a featured part of the festival. And they still are. People hang wreaths over their doors. These were formed in the shape of the sun and represented life which could not exist without sunlight. These wreaths were placed on inside and outside walls during the celebrations. At the time of initiation into the Dionysian mysteries, they were worn by the initiates as fertility symbols. They represented the perpetuity of existence through an ongoing cycles of life, death, and rebirth. Holly berries were also considered sacred to the sun god. The use of Christmas wreaths is believed by authorities to be traceable to the pagan customs of decorating buildings and places of worship at the feast, which took place at the same time as Christmas. Another interesting thing to note about holly berries is that the bark from the holly tree is often used in witchcraft to make their wands and to cast spells and things because it's believed that the holly bears much magic, which is also why it was called Hollywood in California because it's full of witchcraft and all of the paganness that goes along with it. Most people don't know that, but Hollywood is doing this very thing. It's casting its web around all of the people. It's wanting you to stay there. It's wanting you to get wrapped up in everything. It talks about all of this stuff that isn't true and telling lies and it has a lot of witchcraft involved in there and that's the main reason why it was named Hollywood and holly is still used in witchcraft to this day. They took something good and made it bad. Now they have done this for a lot of things such as the rainbow and the butterfly and all of these other beautiful things that the Lord has made and given us and plants and creatures. They've taken it to be something bad and mean something bad. So should we put it in our homes as a representative of sun worship? No. I mean, we are not for the ongoing cycles of life, death, and rebirth. We don't believe in reincarnation. As we have said multiple times in a previous podcast, once we die, that is it. We are in the ground. We don't go to heaven. We don't go to hell. And we aren't reincarnated into another person or being or animal or anything of that nature. What about Christmas trees? The Christmas tree is in every home. Green trees were cut down, mounted, and then decked with offerings of food and precious gifts to Mithra. The Christmas tree is from Egypt, and it originally dates from a period long anterior to the Christian era. Evergreens, because of their ability to remain fresh and green throughout the year, symbolized immortality and fertility. Egyptian priests taught that the evergreen tree sprang from the grave of their god Osiris, who after being murdered by another god was resurrected through the energy in an evergreen tree. Even the Bible speaks about the pagan custom. In Jeremiah 10, 2-4 it says, Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, for the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the axe, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. This is very true. We cut these trees down, we bring them into our 
candles and decorate them. And then we put presents around it and then we sing songs about it like we're worshipping it. This is crazy. This is just a tree. Yes, it is pretty with all the lights and all of the things on it. I used to love putting up Christmas decorations and decorating the tree until I found out all of these pagan meanings behind it. And then we put a stop to it because I don't want to be worshipping any other god besides my god. I don't want to perform idol worship. And it was a hard thing at first because you are used to it. You do fall in love with the custom of it and you want to make excuses for it. But in the end, I would rather give up all of that than disobey the Lord by doing it and by worshiping something that I shouldn't. And we'll get into this a little bit more next week about if you do have a tree, where it should be placed and what should be put on it. But we'll get into that more in part two. What about the Yule log? The Yule log did not come from the Bible nor from the Near Eastern paganism. It came from the heathen Celtic worship practices in Britain. The Celts also worshipped the sun and they too had a celebration at the time of the winter solstice. So we can see over and over throughout all of history, throughout all of the different nations and nationalities that all of these people had similar festivities and worship for the winter solstice around this same time of year. Their December sun festival called Julemond was taken into Christianity when it came to Britain. During the Yule festival, evergreen branches were used for decoration, and after the branches were stripped off, the log was considered sacred to the sun. It was round like the sun, and its length symbolized the movement, just as the sun was round and moved through the sky. All of this may sound ridiculous, but paganism actually is ridiculous. The family would each year go out and specially select a nice round tree from which to cut the Yule log. When burned, it sent out heat, just as the sun god burned and sent out heat. So these people once again took things from nature, from the things that God had made, and misrepresented it and twisted it so much to worship not Jesus, the true son of God, but instead to worship this false sun god, which is Satan. And Christmas actually means Christ's mass, and this is a special thing performed in the Catholic Church, and those who attend it every year are actually crucifying Christ over and over again. The people take this wafer, which they say represents the body and the blood of Christ, which is the wine that they drink, and they're crucifying Christ over and over again. In fact, they worship it. In a Vatican statement, it said there should be no doubt in anyone's mind that all the faithful ought to show to this most holy sacrament, which they're talking about the communion wafer, the worship was just due to the true God, as has always been the custom of the Catholic Church, nor is it to be adored by the less because it was instituted by Christ to be eaten. The Vatican reaffirms this doctrinal statement over and over again. So if for those of you who might attend Mass, don't. That is not anything that we should be doing. We are to not worship these symbols that God has given us to remember the sacrifice that he made for us. When we do communion and take the unleavened bread and the grape juice, not actual alcoholic wine, we do it to remember the sacrifice that he gave for us and the life that he is preparing for us to come. We're not to worship these symbols. We're not actually partaking of Jesus's body and Jesus's blood. No, it was a symbol of the sacrifice that he gave to us. But more on that at another time, maybe. So, should we then give presents? Well, the pagan Romans exchanged food and small statues of gods and trinkets to one another during the winter festival. The church, in adopting the custom, declared that this is to be done on December 25th. And they say this, the interchange of presents between friends is a like character 
characteristic of Christmas and the Saturnalia and must have been adopted by Christians from the pagans as the admonition of Tertullian plainly shows. Well, should we today give gifts to our friends and to those who need them? Well, yes, it is good to do this throughout all of the year, especially to those who are needy, but our choicest gifts should be brought to Christ. And we're also going to get into this more in part two of what sort of gifts we should give even to our children or things like that. And if we do give gifts, what kind? And so we'll be getting into that a little bit more in part two. But when we give to the Lord, we are told to give heartily. I mean, even the Magi gave to Christ at his birth in Matthew 2, 1 and verse 11, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, and when they, speaking of the wise men, were come into the house, they fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. We need to give him our best, give him our life, dedicate all we have to him to be used in his service. We need to read the Bible daily and obey its commandments throughout the year not just on one day. Don't just be good to others on certain holidays. You need to be good to people throughout the year. And only then we can have genuine happiness. But don't let these ancient paganisms select the day on which you should worship God. We worship God every single week on Sabbath and every day in our hearts. We need to take heed lest we be snared. Just what Deuteronomy 12 30 and 31 says. Take heed to thyself that thou be not snared by following them, which is the world, that thou not inquire, not after their God, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do likewise. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God. For every abomination to the Lord, which he hateth, have they done unto their gods. Also in Matthew 15:9 it says, In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. It is by obeying the inspired word of God, the Bible, and the Sabbath that he gives us, and giving our lives in his service, that we become worshipers of the living God. And this is what pleases him. And we would rather please him than do anything else. We ought to obey God rather than man. He has been so good to us in our lives. In him we live and move and have our being. And only through him can we be saved and get into heaven to begin with. And like I said before, I could go into a lot more further details of the pagan origin of Christmas, of how Christmas falls on the son's birthday, and how it's pagan in its roots and is observed not because of being Christ's birthday. They just used it as an excuse, as I said before. They actually used it to continue the festivities of worshiping the sun god and doing all of the festivals that everybody else kept. And that is not something we should be doing. And next week, I'm going to get into how we should really be keeping this day. And we can do it in a way that teach our children good and do it in a way that brings honor to Christ and not follow the customs and paganism of the world. We must be in the world, but not doers of the world. This week, I just really wanted to get into a little bit of the history of the things that people celebrate and the things that they do and the things that I used to do. Like I said before, I used to put up all of these decorations and loved it. But when I found out the history behind Christmas and what it was really about, I stopped doing it because I realized that it wasn't honoring the Lord. It was worshiping another God. And I don't want to do that anymore. And so with all of this being said, I hope that it was informative to you. And I know it's a lot to take in and it might be hard to give up, but do we want to obey God or do we want to worship Satan? I mean, this is the choices that 
are given to us and we must decide between good or evil and Christmas is nothing more than a way to get people to spend money unnecessarily think about themselves and buy all of these decorations that you don't even need and it's just very commercialized and nothing that we as Christians should partake of in the madness and we'll get more into that in part two as I said before but now I want to sing this song because there are some beautiful hymns about Christ's birth and so I will actually sing one of those because it's talking about the true son of God and how we should be worshiping him I'm sure many of you know this song and it's O Come O Come Emmanuel and it goes like this O come O come Emmanuel and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. O come, O wisdom from on high, who ordered all things mightily to us the path of knowledge show and teach us in its ways to go rejoice rejoice emmanuel shall come to you o israel o come o come great lord of might who to your tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times did give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. O come, O branch of Jesse's stem, unto your own and rescue them from depths of hell your people save and give them victory o'er the grave rejoice rejoice emmanuel shall come to you o israel o come o key of david come and open wide our heavenly home make safe for us the heavenward road and bar the way to death's abode rejoice rejoice emmanuel shall come to you o israel o come o bright and morning star and bring us comfort from afar dispel the shadows of the night and turn our darkness into light rejoice rejoice emmanuel shall come to you o israel o come o king of nations bind and won the hearts of all mankind bid all our sad divisions cease and be yourself our king of peace 
Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. I really like this song because it's talking not only of Jesus coming to earth the first time to save us, but coming the second time to save us as well and take us home to save us from sin and suffering and woe. And I hope that you take all of what I've said to heart and do your own research about Christmas as well, because there's a lot of history and a lot of paganism and a lot of things that I could have said, but I had to narrow it down and just give certain facts because there's just so much to say about it. So do your own research and study about it. See for yourself whether these things be so. And remember to obey God is better than to obey and serve another master. And remember that once you have learned to share it with others, because there are so many people out there who are doing this without realizing it and knowing the history behind these holidays. And I myself, when I learned this, was shocked to know that I was actually worshiping these pagan ancestors and these pagan gods. And I couldn't believe the history once I was told the truth. And so now that you know, you must share with others so that they don't worship another God. And remember what it says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. And with all this being said, let your light so shine so that you are a star witness for the Lord.